transmitter to the sun called the called me by Building no architecture. And so this burden was laid out of his heart to build a temple for the Lord. 
17, go. Do all that is in your hearts. For the Lord is with you. Go. Go this time to the Lord because the Lord is with you. However, that night, God appeared to Nathan in the dream and commanded David not to go to that temple. God says in verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, the plan of God was not that David would build this temple, but that his son Solomon would. So Solomon built this temple. It was a temple that in which he spared no expense. And he built this great structure and he wanted to honor God with him. He did so much in his building to honor the Lord in. And he acknowledges that really though, can a temple hold God? Can a temple really hold God? See, Solomon's desire for this temple was not really necessarily a place for God to live and understand that the, understood that the Lord dwelled in, in all of the universe. He built in his place of worship. He wasn't interested in just being destruction. He wanted those who visited the temple to be visited by God. He wanted those in the stress to know exactly where God dwelled. And, and he says things like, if there's family in the land, if people turn toward the temple or visit this temple, that, that, that the Lord will supply for their needs and in a time of trouble. They knew, here is the temple of the Lord in which he dwells. This is a place of refuge, a place of sacrifice, a place of worship. It was, it was a place where people could physically see and enter and see God. But well, we skip over to Second Chronicles. 7, 11, and 12. And Solomon is, is praying and having a, a, a service of dedication to the new time. And it says this, that thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own, and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard the prayer and have chosen this place for myself and so God put his stamp of approval on this building. So we move now to verse 13. 2 Chronicles 7, 13. This is God speaking. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, and pray and seek my face and turn through the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their hands. Now there are three words I want to focus on in these verses. And uh, that's what I want to spend the majority of my time. The three words are when, if, and then. To begin with when. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land and pestilence among my people. The when, the word when, when not even a question, has a sense of finality. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time before the thing happens. You know, um, as a kid, you, you 
you've heard those words, right? When your father gets home, you're going to get it. He's coming home. I know he's coming home. You've got to scout out the house with my house. Or perhaps you have a tattletale sibling. When mom gets home, I'm going to tell her everything you did. I'm telling her everything. Whoa, whoa. And that's when the, okay, let's tell you here. The world has such a sense of finality. When? When? When we face hardships. Situations are unavoidable in our lives. And I think verse 13 here lets us know that. And throughout the scripture, you actually see that, that that tribulation and hardship are unavoidable. We're all going to go through them in one form or another. Even um, Timothy, or even Paul, um, acknowledged Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So on top of just hardship, we're going to face even persecution if we strive to live a godly life. Our persecution may be different than in those in Sudan, in Sudan or in the Middle East or some other places that are, are closed to Christianity. Okay, we have places like Burma and just places around the world. Okay, maybe we're not facing that kind of persecution, but we may face some some form of persecution, perhaps friends abandoned, perhaps family abandoned. We may, uh, we may not be taken seriously. And you know what? And, and I know that that's very different than, than people who live their lives around the world. But we also know that it's also enough to make us afraid to share our faith. And so I think Paul is, is warning us that, look, be prepared yourself now. Prepare your strength. Because if you strive to live a godly life, you do it. Um, I, I was listening the other day to ESPN radio and some people saw my, my Facebook status and I was really, I was really bothered by uh, what they call ESPN extra points. It's like a little two minutes blurb about sports and it's usually about somebody's legacy or whatever and they kind of go off you know, about how the world of sports impacts in people's lives and our lives and, and they started talking about Tim Tebow. Quarterback for Florida Gators, he was, and um, huge college college star. I mean, really huge. And um, and his parents um, are missionaries in the Philippines, and uh, he's teaming up with James Dobson and Booker Thomas family, and they're putting together a pro-life Super Bowl ad, okay. which is which is pretty incredible. Pretty incredible that. Even the NFL allowed out of the network or whatever, you know. But ESPN's point was conceivable. You gotta be smarter than You don't wanna ruin your career. You see, he's entering the draft, the NFL draft, and, and um, there were question marks about his, his, uh, his play. He's a great college player, he's a good coach. But they're saying this kind of thing does not help your reputation. Because, not just because James Dobson supports for life, but because as they were, James Dobson, well, they didn't find a child in the first 
Dave's doctrine supports the corporal punishment of young children as the way to pray. With a wooden spoon or paddle, not, not using the hand, but as an object of love. And basically, making him out, making, making him out to be a child of somebody who, who advocates, advocates of abusing children or and, and that's exactly the opposite of what they've got to teach. But just subtle things like that, trying to discredit Christianity. And, and we're starting to see it more and more. And, um, and so we may face things like that, we just try to discredit it because of our beliefs. When? When does it happen? When it happens, it's just a matter of when. One thing that made me laugh is uh, Pastor Wayne once shared a story where um, at home, a life insurance guy came to the door one day and said, and it's kind of selling life insurance, and he said, but what if you die? And Pastor Wayne said, what if? Of course I'm going to die. It doesn't matter what if I die, it's when I die. And so, the word when is just, I got some finality. Now, if, however, it is a good story. If my people, were called by my name and humble themselves. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. The word if is a conditional word. The storm is coming, but God is interested in how we handle the storm. And what is the correct response of hardship? Sometimes hardship draws people closer to God, sometimes it causes people to shake their fists at God and crush them in his life. Why? Well, this is a warning to Israel. God gave a warning to the nation of Israel. And we have 2020 vision. Our hindsight is coming to me, as I said. And looking back, we realize Israel turned their hearts collectively as a nation away from God. And, um, and as Robert pointed out, of course, that wasn't every single person because even as we were going into exile, we have Daniel, one of the most, in my opinion, admirable men in the Bible. But this was before the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC or the southern kingdom of Judah in 586 BC. This is before all of that. And God is warning Israel that when the hardships come, how will you respond to it? And he says, if. If. And it's a conditional thought. If my people will call by my name. And who exactly are my people? And since God is speaking, he's speaking here directly to Israel. He's speaking, he's speaking to a, 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 a people that he chose. He chose Abraham. And through Abraham came the great nation of Israel. He chose them. Handpicked. Those are things I believe that constantly applies to us today because we are its people. And we were actually cursed. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20 says, For do not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And that price is the blood of Jesus Christ. So when God says, my people, he says so for good reason. He died for us. It's honestly a thought that comforts me to know that God called me his own. Called by my name, Romans 8, 29, 30 says this, for 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Understand this, that it is God who calls us, not the other way around. The only reason we can actually ever call out to God is because he called us first. He was not lost, we were lost. We were the ones that were found. So when you understand that we are His people, called by His name, you realize now that we are very privileged. And we have so much to be thankful for. See, there are conditional and unconditional promises in the Bible. An unconditional promise is a, is a promise that no matter what happens, God is going to keep that promise. So an unconditional promise... In Genesis, for instance, God tells Noah that he will never again destroy the earth with a flood. That's conditional. I mean, unconditional. Regardless of how bad this world becomes, he will never do that again. Then we have something called the conditional promises. And that's what we see here. If you do this, then I will grant this. Parents use this tactic all the time, right? With report cards. If you get all A's, then I will buy you a Wii. Okay? But it blows my mind when I hear, if you get no D's, then... I'm like, wait, what? What? In my house, it was like my mom would say, if you get no D's, then I, I don't have to chase you around with a chancla on my hands, <laughs> swinging it and trying. And my mom, she's quick. I, I've never, I never thought. She's got this leather sandal. Chase, I, I, I'm under the bed and I, her arms look short. Long reach though. It's amazing. So, so, I don't know. Fall off track. Okay. <laughs> so we must contract I'm sorry, we must um, contrast the idea of when, the word when, with if. The conditions. And the, and, and the other idea of no conditions. Let me talk about the four conditions, though, that we see here. That God lays out for Israel. And I think we can learn a lot from them. First of all, condition number one, humble yourselves. Humble yourself. There are few intergalactic heroes that have been humbled as much as Buzz Lightyear was humbled. <laughs> Buzz Lightyear was humbled when he realized his true place in life. He was, he was not a space ranger, the son of the evil Zerg. No. He, he looked on TV one day and saw that he was just a toy. Eventually, looking under his foot and seeing the name Andy. And he realized that he... he he bore this mark. And that meant that his purpose was not to save the universe, but to please Andy. And he realized that he's not, he was not greater than Andy. He realizes his, his place. See, I think about that and I wonder why do I struggle with humility? I don't even understand why I would ever even struggle with it. Am I really that deceived to think that I'm that important in this world? You know, it was, um, it, was a, it was a harsh reality when I realized that God does not need me. And um, really, God doesn't need you either. 
And we have to come to that place to understand that. That if, you know, the, you know, the idea that this youth ministry will not crumble apart if I were to step out. Or this church won't fall to pieces if I were to leave it. Or whatever it might be. God doesn't need me. He just chooses to use me. And I am very humbled by that fact. It's even more humbling to me to know that He uses me even though He doesn't need me. He desires to use us. Alright? So let me make that very clear. He desires to use every single one of us. But if we're hardened, we turn away. Many times God uses someone else. We miss out on that privilege because we refuse to humble ourselves and see our correct place in this world. This world is not about me or you, but it's about glorifying Jesus Christ. It's about... It's not about becoming great. It's about becoming small and letting God become great in my life. So that others can see how great God is. Philippians 2, 5-11 tells us that Christ humbled himself and he, when he became a man and he died. I'm always, I'm always in awe when I read those verses. And then to realize, how can I ever, ever become, be prideful when Jesus Christ came down in humility? In 1 John 1.16, talks about pride. It tells us that the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Verse 17 reminds us that the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God ab- abides forever. He abides forever. First condition is humble yourself. Second is pray. We've been focusing on prayer all month and we've learned so much. It's important that we realize that prayer is really just our lifeline. It's our communication with God. We have that direct access. And, and if we read um, Philippians 4, we realize that God wants us to, to pray. He wants us to depend on, on Him. So we have humble yourself. We have pray. The third condition is seek my face. And I believe that that seeking God's face involves great devotion. It means to know Him intimately. And I love going out with my family to a restaurant, to the pumpkin patch, to the zoo, any activity. I think it's a lot of fun. But what I love even more is going out with my wife alone. Spending time with her one-on-one. Getting to know her more. Because I realize that If I'm not spending time with her one-on-one, alone, though we live in the same house, though we eat from the same table for dinner, sleep in the same bed, ride in the same car, I feel so distant from her. In the movie Fireproof, Kirk Cameron is a firefighter with a marriage headed on its way to divorce, though he's challenged to go through a book called The Love Dare. And he's going through The Love Dare, as he's going through The Love Dare, he comes across something on day 18. It says, when a man is trying to win the heart of a woman, he studies her. He learns her likes, dislikes, habits, and hobbies. Consider, consider the following perspective. If the amount, of, if the amount you studied your, your spouse before marriage were equal to a high school diploma, then you should continue to learn about your mate until you gain a college degree, a master's degree, and ultimately a doctorate degree. 
Think of it as a lifelong journey that draws you ever closer to your mate. And I believe that seeking God is, is very similar in the fact that, that we don't ever stop. We continue to do it and we're never, we're never satisfied with, with finding, with, with learning about who God is. And I'm not suggesting if you go to a Bible school or seminary or something, you get a degree. Yeah, that's a reflection of your relationship with Him. It's, it's an onward, everyday, um, seeking after God, relentless seeking after God. You have to become obsessed with knowing who God is. Um, Show Baraka is a Christian rapper from a group called the 116 Click, and he has a song called Catch Me at the Brook. And the chorus says, Your face I gotta constantly seek. I need more. Never, see, never feel I'm reaching my peak. I need more. My soul thirsts for you, O Lord. I need more. I need more. I'm thirsting after God. Find peace in your mercy and grace. I need more. Find shelter in no other place. I need more. My soul thirsts for you, O Lord. I need more. I need more. You can catch me at the brook. And that idea that we constantly need more. Never be satisfied. Seeking God's face means that you are never, ever satisfied with knowing who He is. You're always digging deeper in the Word of God. It requires us to be humble. It requires us to pray. It requires devotion and dedication. And fourth, it requires us to turn from our wicked ways. I'm bad with direction. It makes me feel better when I meet people who are worse than I. I once knew a guy who, who I think needed a GPS to get out of his neighborhood and get to work every morning. But um, one day I got off the L. Um, I won't tell you where because I'm... I'm kind of embarrassed to even tell you the story. I got off the L and I started walking in the wrong direction really because I, I wasn't paying attention. I was listening to music and I didn't realize that the stairs looped around um, coming down off the L to the street and, it, and I didn't realize it pointed me in the wrong direction. So I started going the wrong way and I finally, I hit a street that I said, wait, I shouldn't be hitting the street. Now at that point I had a decision to make. I could turn around or I could keep going and eventually get to my destination years later. And... And I realized that, no, I've got to swallow my pride. I hate when I make mistakes like that. And I'm sure you probably do too. So it's like, really, you, you hope nobody saw you turn around. And you try to make up a story. Oh, yeah, I'm 10 minutes late. Because, you know, whatever. Because, you know, it's, it, you know we, we're prideful. Repentance is not confession. Repentance is not going to God and saying, I'm sorry for my sin. Repentance is turning from the sin. You know, you're walking the wrong way and you realize that, you know what, I can't keep walking this way. Repentance is turning the other way. Turn from your wicked ways. Does this mean that you'll never sin again? No. But I believe that there are sin in, there, there are sin in our lives that, that tend to like grab a hold of our lives and, and God really wants us to push that away. We're going to struggle with sin all of our lives and, and, uh, but it's never being content with that sin, always pushing it aside and turning from it. The four conditions, humble yourself, pray, seek his face with, with devotion, and turn from your wicked ways in repentance. And the promise is, then I will hear, God will hear us. If we humble ourselves, if we do these things, God hears our prayers from heaven. He hears us. He will forgive our sins. That's why, that's why he died on the cross. That was his whole purpose. And he will heal heal us. Heal their land. But believe God has, has healing to do in our lives. Maybe it's not always a physical healing. 
Perhaps it's in our heart, in our relationship with Him, in our relationship with others. We start to change if we do these things, if we humble ourselves, pray, and we start to seek after God. I just want to close here, and as I, as I do so, I'd like to invite the, um, the band to come up and just challenge us, just challenge us to, to truly humble ourselves in prayer and truly to seek, seek His face. Never, ever be satisfied with the relationship with God. Always go deeper. Lord, we thank you that you have saved us. We thank you that you love us, Lord, that your forgiveness is there for us, Lord. I pray that we would just humble ourselves, Lord. Pray, seek your face, Lord. Turn from our wicked ways. We thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. If you would like to be prayed for, um, I'm sure, um, prayer account.